0: The views and opinions of shows on KCNR are those of the hosts, guests, and callers only and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of KCNR Radio. Good morning everyone, this is Dr. Patricia Bay and you are tuning in to Therapy in a Nutshell here on KCNR, your talk radio, 96.5 FM and 1460 AM. We are live this morning, so if any of you would like to call in and ask a question or make a comment or just whine a little bit, that's fine. The phone number is area code 530 Four five six seven. Okay, and you can also go to kcnr1460.com and write a comment on the chat, and my producer Jared will make sure that I see it. Okay, today we are talking about family drama, and uh, many of you know that when I choose a topic for the radio show on Saturday mornings, it's something that I see popping its head up in my therapy sessions during the week in my office. And family drama comes up often in my office and has for the 34 years that I've been in private practice. I hear it all the time. But this week, particularly, several people, several families are dealing with some intense family drama. And it just really reinforced that idea that I need to be talking about this today. So I wanted to let you know, that family drama happens in almost every family everywhere. Now, occasionally, I have to say that I have seen families that are very peaceful, very calm, there's no drama, everybody's happy, but those don't exist very often. So if you have one of those families, count your blessings because it is more usual for families to have something going on somewhere that people have to deal with, struggle with, uh, take care of, and endure. So today we're going to be talking about just what this family drama look like for a lot of families. And I'm going to give you some examples, real life examples from people that I've seen over the years. Of course, I will disguise identities and family dynamics so you can't tell who they are. But I want to Part of the reason I'm going to share examples is because you really need to know that you're not alone and other families have the same kind of stuff that goes on. I also want to really explain how family drama can make each of us feel and what we struggle with regarding it so that you understand your own feelings. And then by the end of the show, I want to really give you some skills for surviving family drama in a healthy way. I'd like to tell you that we could snap our fingers and make it go away, but it's not going to happen. So surviving it, bringing a better you to the table, literally to the table, can make a big difference in how you deal with the drama in your own family. So what I've seen over the years in my private practice as a marriage family therapist in Northern California is that family drama is a source of incredible sadness for people, and the main reason for the sadness is that everybody wishes it were different. Nobody wants their family to look dysfunctional or to be mean or say rude things. And they're incredibly sad when it isn't how they want it to be. So know that when you are feeling upset and triggered and sad, that that's what most people feel when they've got family drama. And the the family drama that I hear the most is around the holidays. Now that's that's when it raises its head in my office a lot. And it's so funny because I always take a couple weeks off over the holidays. And the main reason is because during that couple weeks right around Christmas and New Year's, people either don't show up for their appointments and then I'm left holding the bag or feeling like Scrooge if I charge them for their no-show. So it's just a lose for all around the, all around, when that happens. But the other thing is a lot of what people are angsting out about is getting together with their families for the holidays. And I have learned over the years that if they just get past the holidays and they survive, then the issue puts itself away and they don't want to deal with it again until the next year. Now, there are those people that say, look, I'm sick and tired of how I respond to this family drama and I would like to change my response to it and that's really cool to work with in therapy because that's where the change can occur so around the holidays is a big thing so when you feel anxious and nervous about getting together with family and extended family know that there's probably some specific things that really bother you and it helps to stop and sit down and say what are those things that I'm worried about now, in my office, I often hear, when the whole family gets together, there's all kinds of subtle little remarks and things that are made that create stress. Let me give you a couple of examples. Let's say that you're single and your family is stressed about you getting married or bringing grandkids into the family or doing what they expect to be, quote unquote, normal. So you might feel the subtle pressure of, you know, oh, Sally, so you're still single, huh? Playing in the field? Well, when are you going to settle down and get married? You know, we'd like a couple of grandkids. And that pressure is difficult, especially if Sally wants to be married or Sally is choosing to never marry and has to deal with that conflict within her family. And that's just a, a kind of an example. It's when your family wants something different for you than what you want for yourself, and they start to impose their will on you. That creates family drama. Um, Sometimes it's about how we look or how we feel. You know, did you change your hair again? Um, Have you gained or lost weight? Have you um, come out as being a different sexual orientation than your family knew you to be or expected you to be or... Their family, their religious values abhor. So, you know, some of those things create a whole lot of family drama. And it can be subtle, you know, where little, quiet, passive-aggressive remarks or It can be huge where it actually becomes a family battle at the table. Now, the other part of family drama that I see a lot evolves around alcohol. And not just alcohol, because sometimes there's drugs and alcohol involved. And often in families, there's drugs involved where somebody doesn't know it. They don't know that Aunt Martha took a Xanax before she showed up at the table and then drank two glasses of wine, and now she is slurring her words and saying anything that comes to her mind. But alcohol and drugs can create dynamics within a family that people expect, or that they don't know how to handle. So that's an interesting dynamic because many families know that, for example, oh, Uncle Joe's going to get drunk again at Thanksgiving, and I don't know how to deal with him when he starts leering at me or making sexual jokes. And I hear stuff like that a lot. So I know some of you are smiling because you're thinking about what happens in your families, and it's kind of dysfunctional and strange. And the the main purpose of this show is to let you know that this is usual. I don't want to say normal because I don't think any family is totally normal. But it happens all over the place. So you're not unusual in what's going on with you. So when we come back from the break, I want to tell you a couple of examples of things I've actually dealt with in therapy with people and that they have to come to terms with in order to begin to bring a different self to their family drama and to the interactions that happen in their households. So we're going to go to break, and we'll come back in a minute. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patty, and we are talking about family drama. You know, it's it's interesting because with family drama, we often think we can choose our friends, but we can't choose our family. And that family is forever, and family is supposed to be our safe place. And family's supposed to be who shows up when things are difficult. And the issue that I hear all the time in my office and I've seen in families around, you know, my own family, friends, other people that I talk to, is it just doesn't always work like that. Sometimes your family is not your safest place. And recognizing that can be extremely sad. We expect our family to be the one that shows up when you need them or that understands us or that even if you fight, they'll love you enough to work things out. But that is not always the case, and I often see it happening in other ways. So one of the biggest sadnesses for people is that their family is not what they thought it was, expected it to be or need it to be. Uh, it's interesting, In uh, my husband Rich passed away of a behavioral variant, frontal temporal degeneration, a terminal brain disease, and it was 10 years of stress as he was getting more and more ill. And one of the things that really saved me was a group of women, group of people, they weren't all just women, of spouses of people with FTD. And we had a Facebook group, and we supported each other a lot. And one of the things that we all talked about was the level of family drama and how family would play a big issue in the stress of dealing, of caregiving somebody with a terminal illness. And it amazed me to hear how many of us that were supportive of each other on that site had family members that, we, we joked around, we called it, they mamboed out. They would find a way to not be involved and it often came under the guise of getting mad. They would say, you're doing this or you're doing that or you said this or you're bad because of this or you're making your LO, your loved one, you're making your loved one look worse than he really is. Or, and, and we were all blown away that people would, that our family members would say things like that when we were struggling with dealing with terminal illness. But what I've come to recognize over a long period of time in what I do in my practice and dealing with caregivers with terminal illness and experiencing a lot of the caregiving stress myself is that it's often very convenient for people to mambo out. They will pick something that makes them angry, and rather than deal with it or straighten it out or duke it out and come to terms and put it behind them, They use that as an excuse to mambo out. And it's interesting because all of us who were caregivers for terminally ill frontal temporal degeneration people would recognize why they would want to mambo out. FTD sucks. It was a horrible disease to watch Rich succumb to. And we understood why if somebody could mambo out and not be a part of it, not have to help and not be supportive, that it was convenient for them to find a reason to be mad. And so on one hand, we understood. And on the other hand, we felt, most of us felt very abandoned and betrayed. And that was really struggling a point of struggle for all of us because prior to that, most of us had the expectation that family would be there. They would not abandon us. They wouldn't look for reasons to be mad and mambo out. So it's, it's just something to recognize that even family, even some of your best friends can turn on you and say, I'm out of here. And the sadness of that and the excruciating pain of that is difficult for many it, because it's not what we expected it to be. So what if? We, as people, as humans, stopped expecting our family to always be a safe place. It doesn't mean you don't appreciate it when they are. I think it's beautiful when families are your safe place. But what if you recognize that sometimes that's not going to be the case? So there's a letting go of your expectation that your family will be there for you and I'll tell you that is extremely grief-striking when you when you finally sit down and say wow they aren't going to show up they aren't going to be supportive they're going to be mad at me for that oh my gosh so it's it's huge when that happens so that's one of the first things about dealing with family drama is recognizing that your own expectations and beliefs and hopes and dreams can be dashed on what you thought family was. Especially if you're the type of person who would never abandon somebody. It makes it even harder to understand how somebody could abandon you. So recognizing that and then recognizing that you are a part in that whole family drama and your expectations have been a part in that drama. So Letting go of expectations is huge. There's a concept that I've talked about in prior shows that I call empty hands. Empty hands is about letting go of expectations. When we stop and look at what are the things that we hold in our hands that we expect, and then those things don't happen, we're left with an armful of expectations that create disappointment and sadness and hurt. The secret is to recognize what our own expectations are. And they're often based on what we would do, what we think, what we would judge to be correct or right. And it isn't always what others believe. And that's a rude awakening. I mean, when you recognize that you thought you had good morals and values and expectations and that any reasonable person would have those same morals, values, and expectations, and they don't, you start to recognize that The world is a little more complicated than you might have thought. So empty hands is about letting go of what your expectations are and letting go of your expectations of what you think healthy families look like. So that was something that uh, a lot of the caregivers for people struggling with frontal temporal degeneration had to deal with. They had to let go of what they hoped it could be or what they They felt they would have done for somebody else. So looking at yourself, checking out your expectations, recognizing that sometimes you have to let go of hoping that your family is that safe place to fall is huge. And it's even sad talking about it because it's extremely grief striking to recognize that you have to let go of something that you wish could be. I have a theme word that I use a lot, and it's the word unnecessary. So often when we look at family drama and abandonment and betrayal and it not being a safe place, and the reasons why that occurs, they, they all seem so unnecessary. Like if everybody could just relax and chill a little bit and be quiet, maybe it wouldn't need to be necessary for people to be hurt within the family. So it's interesting that when we have expectations, we tend to take it personally when somebody doesn't meet our expectation. So stop for a moment and say, what are my expectations within my family, my immediate family, my family of origin, my extended family that gets together maybe at holidays or weddings or funerals or whatever? And what do you take personally when they don't meet your expectation? Because there's kind of a formula that people do in their head. And that formula is, if you really loved me, you would meet my expectation. You would accept me. You would believe in me. You would think like me. You would be there. You wouldn't abandon me. You wouldn't judge me. And those are the expectations we tend to have of family. And when they cannot or will not, meet our expectation. Our translation is often, if you really loved me, you would do that. That is how we take things personally. Taking it personally is, you wouldn't do that to me if you cared about me. So stop for a minute and say, how do I take my family personally? Like if only they loved me more, they would do what I need them to do to accept me that is a huge step in bringing a different you to the table. You stop and say, what are my expectations of my family? How's that working for me? How do they meet those expectations or how do they disappoint me? And how do I define their behavior? Are they mean? Are they purposely disregarding me? Are they prejudiced? Are they undeveloped? Are they the wrong political party? Are they the wrong religion? Um, What's wrong with them? Why would they do that to me? That's where you can bring a different you. What if you said, I'm going to drop my expectations, and it is what it is. Aunt Martha or Uncle Joe or that person in my family is just who they are, and it's not up to me to fix them, change them, make them better or different. It's up to me to let go of my expectations And learn not to take them personally we're going to go to break in a minute but when we come back we're going to talk about some concrete ways that you can survive your family drama so we're going to go to break and we'll be back in a minute welcome back To Therapy in a Nutshell, this is Dr. Patty, and we are talking about family drama. You're just listening to the beautiful Native American flute music of Randy McGinnis, multiple award winner for Native American Music Awards, played all over the world, played on stage with the Prague Symphony, the Knoxville Symphony. He he just, his music is incredibly diverse and beautiful. All six of his CDs sound very different, which is really Wonderful. So you can go to randymcginnis.com and listen to his music. I just find it extremely peaceful. Okay, so we are talking about family drama, which is not a peaceful subject. It's a difficult one. But our goal here for this show is to recognize your expectations and your part of the dance in the family drama and see if you can bring a different you to the table, literally to the table, to see if you can create a change In yourself of what happens in the family drama in your personal life. So we're talking about learning how to take a look at your own expectations, and then we're talking about how to recognize when you are taking other people's behavior personally. So that is really cool for you to stop and take a look at those things. But let's take it a little further. One of the things that happens with family drama is that there's usually a violation of boundaries that are happening in that moment. Boundaries are simply explained by saying, recognizing where you end and someone else begins. So often in a family, those boundaries are extremely messed up or enmeshed because as you evolve, you need to learn to separate and be an individual with your family members, so take a brand new baby. A Brand new is very enmeshed with its parents, and as the baby grows and develops, it starts to create some separation. In a in a perfect world, that baby creates separation, individuation, and by 10, 12 years old, they're much more independent. By 15, they're independent. By 18, they're just launching seamlessly and beautiful into beautifully into the world. Well, I wish it happened like that all the time, but it doesn't. So. Those boundaries can be enmeshed in families where people never quite launched. Sometimes it's because the child didn't launch and clings in a dependent, fearful kind of way, and sometimes it's because parents cling and don't let go and allow their child to launch. And it can be a combination of all of that. So boundaries can get muddy and messed up, and families don't always know where one person ends and the other one begins. Let me give you an example. Let's say that your aged aunt has decided that she knows how you should be running your life. You should be married. You should have 2.3 children. You should be the same religion as her. You should not be doing this. You should be doing that. And why are you working and not staying home? And da, 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 da. think of all the things that happens in families. That's a boundary violation. Your aged aunt is thinking that you should be like her. And she's probably had 2.3 glasses of wine and is now stating exactly what she believes at the table, and you're starting to fume. That is a boundary violation. So, just because your aged aunt doesn't know where the boundary is, doesn't mean that you can't know where the boundary is. So, what do you do when your elder relative is violating a boundary on you and you're starting to fume and you? Want it to be different. There are some really cool things you can do. One is to practice silence. And that doesn't mean pissy, angry, turn all red in the face silence is you down two more glasses of wine trying to shut yourself up. No, that's not okay. Practicing silence is where you say, This isn't my monkey. This is my aunt's monkey. I'm not going to buy into what she's saying and I'm not going to engage with it. So you're practicing silence. The other is you can change the subject. You know, you remember that old statement. What about those Niners? What about those 49ers? You're trying to change the subject with a little bit of humor saying, okay, we're not going to talk about this because this is not a good conversation. So you purposely change the subject with a little bit of humor. The other thing is you can change the subject in a very concrete way. And it really helps to go into your family drama situations with a good subject changer in mind, and hopefully a non-triggering subject changer. So you're sitting at the family Thanksgiving table, and your aunt is now ragging on you because you haven't had children yet, and your biological clock is ticking, and blah, 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 blah. So you've come armed with a subject changer, and you say to the table, hey, did everybody hear that wonderful story about the The guy who was helping little kids and, you know, you've got some beautiful story that's not triggering. It's not political. Um, It's a kind of story everybody could hear and say, oh, that's so wonderful, how nice. Or you've got some good piece of news of something you're doing that everybody would say, oh, that's great. So you come armed with your subject changer that's non-triggering, not over the top in any particular direction, that's positive, that's light. And when the relative that tends to make trouble at the table starts in on their spiel, you're going to speak up with your subject changer, and and not in a rude way, but you're looking for the opportunity to interject something positive. So the other thing is another coping skill that you can do is you can take a break. Um, you can say, Hey, does anybody need more water? Or uh, I'm going to get up and get a napkin. Anybody need anything? You can you can go into the kitchen. You can alter your presence at the table or in the room. Um, and then there's always that fail-safe that I teach people. And that's nobody's going to stop you from going to the bathroom. So you just say, I've got to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. And you get up and you leave. That will take That will break what's happening in the moment. And then when you're in the bathroom, you stand there and you say, okay, don't engage. Don't take it personally. I can't alter that person's behavior. I can only alter mine. I'm going to go back in there with my subject changer, and I'm going to not engage. I'm going to have my own clear boundaries. So those are some coping skills that when you're feeling triggered. Now, the other thing is to... Try to change the atmosphere of the whole family get-together. Like, for example, get some buy-in from some key family members that you're going to do something fun, like play charades or ping-pong or something that gets everybody out of themselves and into a funny, positive light. Um, There's a game that our family plays sometimes called LCR. It's left, center, right, which is a little dice game. It sells for like five or six bucks in a toy store. And it's a simple dice game that you can play with poker chips or you can play with dollar bills, which is really fun, or quarters. Um, And you can play it if you're five years old or 95 years old. It's simple. It's easy. It's a blast. Everybody's laughing and talking and going around the table. And it's really cool, like when we play it with dollar bills and somebody in the family wins 60 bucks in dollar bills when they win the game. It's very cool. So that's something our family does, but other families can have a great time playing charades or um, some kind of family game that gets everybody laughing and talking and out of the family drama. So go armed with that, and it is helpful if you have two or three or four other family members already on board that you're going to do this. So when you suggest it, the Naysayer in the family doesn't go, Oh, that's stupid. I don't want to play charades. That's, oh, well, God, come on. That's dumb. No, you need three or four people saying, Yeah, that'd be cool. Let's do it. And you have what you need to play the game or to do the thing. So you're purposely going into your family drama trying to change the interaction. All right. So the other thing is to recognize that you're not responsible for how everybody feels, believes, are what their opinions are. And it's okay for you to practice silence. Is it ever okay for you to leave? Now, what I hate to see in families, and I hear about this all the time in my office, is I took it, I took it, we got in a big old fight, we started screaming and yelling, finally people were slamming out the door, Um, it was horrendously stressful, Now everybody hates everybody. No one wants to get together. Um, This happened at Thanksgiving, and now it's totally ruined Christmas. I hear stuff like that all the time. So is it ever okay to actually leave? Of course it is. It's okay for you to take care of yourself and say, "I, I cannot stay here any longer. But I really like it when people do that by standing in their truth. Standing in your truth is a coping mechanism for any kind of stress. You can look at your aged aunt and say, you know, you're my aunt and I love you and I value who you are, but our opinions differ greatly and I would really appreciate it if you would value mine. And can we talk about something else? That's you standing in your truth. Now, let's say you do that and she keeps going on or somebody else joins her or the family gets into a big old row with different belief systems you can say hey guys you're my family and I love you but I'm really kind of at my wits end here I'm kind of stressed out I'm going to go ahead and go um, and I love you all and I'll talk to you later but I'm going to exit out here so that's very different than getting up cussing and swearing slamming out the door and saying things that you wish you could take back later so exiting is okay What I really want people to get out of this show about family drama is that toxicity and unhealthiness in families is rampant because we are all individuals and everybody brings their own dysfunction to the table. A lot of what we need to do with our families is quiet acceptance, not taking it personally, not trying to change anybody, set boundaries, stand in our truth. Create a different atmosphere of what could happen so that it's more fun. And another coping skill is to get your family together and say, look, we've been having some pretty volatile and hostile family interactions. Let's change this. Let's make some agreements. Like our family agreed not to talk politics. That was a really good change for us and it kept people from getting their feelings hurt and ruining family events. But everybody just kind of agreed to that, and everybody follows it. And if a stranger were there with us, or somebody brought a friend or whatever, and they started talking politics, our family might look at them and say, hey, our family's agreed we don't talk po- talk politics. It's not good for our family. It it hurts all of us. And they we just create the boundary. So, Listen to this show. Go back and listen to other podcasts like Trusting Levels. If you've got a family member that you wish you were closer to but you're not, listen to the show on Trusting Levels and back that person up. Still love them, but back them up and don't be as close to them. There's also um, other shows on depression and anxiety and communication. And a real powerful show for you to listen to if you're struggling with family drama is Standing in Your Truth. So you can listen to Therapy in a Nutshell on the Anchor Podcast, on Spotify or iTunes. Um, It's free. Feel free to share it with anybody that you think it might help. It's a lot of the lessons I've taught in therapy for 34 years. So this is Dr. Patricia Bay, and the show you're listening to is Therapy in a Nutshell, and our topic today has been family drama. Thank you so much for tuning in. The whole purpose of this show is to try to heal the world one hour at a time. The news from Town Hall is brought to you on KCNR Shasta Redding. Welcome back to Therapy in a Nutshell. This is Dr. Patty, Dr. Patricia Bay, and you are listening to a show about family drama. Just then you were listening to the beautiful music of Randy McGinnis, award-winning Native American flutist, and it's just his music is so peaceful and so beautiful. It's one of the reasons I use it on this show. Thank you, Randy, for letting us so generously use your music. You can check out Randy at his website, randymcginnis.com, or you can go to Spotify, Pandora, iTunes, Amazon, um, CD Baby. You can get his music anywhere. Okay, so we're talking about family drama. And I want to give you some case examples. Uh, some of them you can relate to. Some of them might sound exactly like you. Um, and I'm not going to use names, and I'm also disguising some of the family dynamics so that you can't place this on a particular person or family. But if it sounds like yours, it's probably a coincidence because there's a lot that sound like this. So I want to give you a personal example first. And and this is a really good example of how a lot of the issues have to do with how we feel and not exactly what the other person is doing. In my family of origin, my brother and my sister were tall, lanky, skinny um, individuals. And so I was this short person. And in comparison to them, I spent a lot of my life thinking that I was short and fat, and they were tall and lanky. And so I always had this kind of complex that it was that I wasn't good enough in terms of body image. And it, it led to things that I had to deal with and I came to terms with. And it was, a, it was a good journey for me, but it was a difficult one. But after I had moved away from Los Angeles and moved up to Northern California, uh, my husband and I would go take the kids and we'd go down to L.A. and visit my parents. And every time before we would begin to go Los Angeles, I'd start to get really anxious and nervous because the first thing my dad would always say to me was some comment about weight. He would either tell me I look like I'd gained weight or I'd lost weight, or he'd comment on those jeans look really good on you. And so I would get really nervous as to how I was going to be perceived when he first saw me. And I did this for a very long time. I mean, probably 10 years, maybe more. And then one day, I started thinking about, you know, this is really ridiculous that you hangs out for weeks before you're going down to see family on what weight comment is going to be made about you. And so I started kind of thinking, I, I don't need to do that. But I wasn't quite sure how to change it. So one, the next time I went, and my dad made some comment about weight, I looked at him and I said, Dad, why do you always do that? He said, do what? And I said, you always comment about my weight when you first see me. And he said, well, I just told you you look really good. And I said, no, it's not that. It's that I fear the judgment. And he goes, well, I don't make a comment every time. And I said, yes, you do. And he looked at me and he said, I'm so sorry. He said, I I didn't know I did that. And I said, well, you do. And it really freaks me out. And so we laughed about it. It It was this moment. But I deeply appreciated that my dad looked at me and said, wow, I didn't know I'd do that. And what was really cool is my dad never did that again. And it took me quite a long time to not expect it. I mean, I would still angst out a little bit, but it was a huge turning point in the transformation of that momentary drama that created a lot of angst for me. And the change actually began to occur when I recognized I played a part in the dance. So when I started saying, gee, you don't need to be like this, Patty, straighten up here and do something different. And then when I actually communicated my anxiety to my father, and he listened, and he owned it, and he altered his behavior because he loved me. And I was always so deeply appreciative of that. And it made a shift, and I've taught that to people over the years in my office because it's a really good example of sometimes just speaking up is enough to change a dynamic that's been painful for you. So that's a personal example of family drama, and in my family's like anyone else. We have lots of family drama, <laughs> and over the years it's been interesting, but let's go on to another example. Um I had a person in my office who we were talking about family drama and I said, Well, has your family always been full of drama like this? She was really hurting about uh expectations and the failings that she felt like she had and disappointment in her kids and and she said, No. She said, For quite a number of years my kids and I had no family drama. We just we would have a good time, we'd laugh, we were easy going. We blended really well, and it wasn't until I married the man she's married to now that she said the family drama started, and the dynamic changed between her and her children. It became more tense. There were issues around the new person in the family and issues around alcohol, and she said we just evolved into where we are now, where it's it's not pleasant, and it's full of drama, and It's anxiety-producing, and it's tense, and I don't like it. So in therapy, we really looked at how her family used to be and how much she liked that and where it was now. And what was really cool about this person is she was very willing to look at what part she played in allowing this new drama to be carried out and how her willingness to accept it, and just be silent about it and not try to create any positive changes was really adding and enabling the new family drama to occur. So that's a huge, huge component in change. And when we get to the last part of the show, we're going to talk about really how to affect change in family drama in your family. But it was eye-opening for her to stop and say, my family didn't always used to be like this. Let me give you another example. Um, I am hearing this more and more in my office. The contentious political atmosphere that is in our country right now is really affecting families. Um, I'm deeply appreciative in my own family. We have several varying political views, and our family has agreed we don't talk politics. And that's been very good for us. We all recognize nobody's going to change how anybody feels. No one's going to alter the world by ruining a family get-together by talking politics. So we've all agreed it's an issue that we just don't deal with. And that works really well for our family. But I have a client um, and he said to me, our family dinners are absolutely ruined with talks of politics. And he said, you can almost feel everybody sitting on eggshells waiting for somebody to state their political view and Create adversity at the table, he says. It's like holding your breath, going, "There it is. Okay, here we go. We're off and running." And he said, "There's been screaming and yelling and slamming out doors." And um, I, you know, I never thought you were like this. I can't believe you're my sibling. And he said, "It's just been horrible. In fact, as the political climate has gotten more and more contentious, his family has stopped getting together." Or they have started to polarize. They don't want to invite just the family that they're like-minded with, but they're kind of doing that. And then they worry that the other side of the family is going to find out they weren't invited. And it's just created a huge ordeal within this person's family. Um, We talked about, we brainstormed ways for them to create a different environment in the family, but it takes the whole family agreeing. Now, he could go to a family meeting and say, look, I this is ruining our family, and I want us all to agree that politics needs to stay out of our family get-togethers. And maybe maybe they would do that. But the, the controversy seemed to stem around one person who believes that everybody should believe like that family member believes and is a person who doesn't have great boundaries anyway in keeping their mouth shut on issues that they believe strongly in. So my client was saying to me, even if the whole family agrees, let's not talk about politics. We don't know if we can get that one family member to be quiet. So uh, then the family has to agree on what they're going to do if that family member brings it up. So we'll talk more about how to set those boundaries and make things work. The other issue for family drama that I hear all the time and have for 34 years is the substance abusing family member. There's many, many families have one or more people that gets drunk or shows up stoned or wants to, you know, just think they're relaxing and kicking back and and they have that one or two or five more glasses of wine than they should have. And really kind of creates an atmosphere of, I can say and do anything I want. We know that alcohol and drugs lower inhibitions. And when those inhibitions are lowered, people tend to say or do things that pop into their head. And they tend to lose the control of, that says, I should keep my mouth shut here, or it would be inappropriate for me to make that joke, or uh, it's really not funny. In fact, drunk people always think they're far more funnier than anybody else thinks they are. So that is a a big issue with family drama is dealing with that one or more family member who is overindulging and creating an atmosphere that creates drama. So... I know that those of you that are listening to the show are probably listening because you've got drama in your own families. And there's probably a lot of head nodding going on out there because I talk to your friends sometime. Everybody has that one person that you can count on looking drunk, acting drunk, um, looking so stoned that they're falling asleep in their mashed potatoes. And it's somebody that's doing something crazy. And it puts a lot of stress on the whole rest of the family. So. Recognizing how you feel in family drama, recognizing your own part in how you help perpetuate what's going on in your family, and recognizing that your family is probably like a whole lot of other ones, that you're not the only one who has to deal with all this stuff. So when we come back, we're going to start talking about how do we survive What's going on with family drama? I'm going to give you some things to watch for, some things about how to look for yourself, and we're going to actually talk about specific behaviors. So we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we're going to deal more with family drama. This is. Car-